Welcome to episode 25 of the Listening Brain Podcast. Welcome to the Listening Brain. I'm your host, Todd Houston. In this podcast, we explore childhood hearing loss through the lives of the parents and families who are on this journey and the professionals who serve them. Hi, this is Todd Houston again. I wanted to mention the 3C Digital Media Network, which is our new company that we've developed here. And I wanted to just encourage you to sign up on the site. All it takes is just putting your email in, and that way you can stay in touch with us and we can stay in touch with you, and you will hear and get information about all of our new Uh, blogs that might come out. Uh, You'll hear about our new webinars and courses. And so it's a way just to stay in touch. And that's important these days, staying in touch. So if you don't mind, go over to 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and sign up. And now, back to the interview. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Valerie James Abbott and her daughters, Mary Claire and Bridget, or Bridie. Valerie has written a new book, Pat a Pillow, about her daughter Bridie's hearing loss. The story is told through the eyes of the sister, however, Mary Claire. I'm sure you'll enjoy this conversation with Valerie, Mary Claire, and Bridie. And I know you'll love learning more about this wonderful new book, Pat a Pillow. Here's that conversation. Well, welcome to the podcast, guys. Would you like to introduce yourselves for just a moment? Sure. My name is Valerie James Abbott, and I am the mom of two beautiful girls. Um, I also just recently published a book, Pat a Pillow, and our family lives in Richmond, Virginia. My name is Bridie Abbott. Um, I'm kind of one of the main characters in the book. I'm the one that has hearing loss. Um, And I'm Mary Claire Abbott. I'm Bridie's sister, and um, uh, I narrate Patapillo, so it's uh, told through my eyes. So, Valerie, I think let's start at the beginning uh, with Bridie's uh, diagnosis, and then we'll we'll work from there. Sure. So, um, Bridie, uh, whose her formal name is Bridget, but her nickname is Bridie, she was born um, with. Uh, hearing. She passed her newborn hearing screen and uh, was a very happy, healthy child. And the two girls were just happy, healthy children. And at some point in toddlerhood, she lost her hearing, but we didn't notice. No one noticed, as a matter of fact. And so it wasn't until she had been enrolled in preschool for about six months that her preschool teachers asked us if we were concerned about her speech. And our answer was, we're not concerned about her speech. We know that she speaks a different language, (laughs) but we weren't concerned about it. And she said, well, I think you might benefit from having early intervention come out to the house and maybe talk. And so we did. We we reached out to early intervention. They came right away. And uh, that very first meeting in the house when they're doing the intake, um, it became obvious that we were probably looking at a hearing issue. And that caught everybody by surprise. And um, 
they quickly referred us to uh, an audiologist and we quickly did the audiology exam and then quickly did a sedated ABR and it was confirmed that Bridie had a bilateral sensory neural hearing loss, moderate sloping to severe, um, and no one could tell us how that happened. So no history of hearing loss in the family. Absolutely no history of hearing loss in the family and no history of ear infections. She was an incredibly healthy child. Um, in fact, we the only reason we ever brought her in were for well visits. She was never sick. So it really caught us by surprise. And so she gets diagnosed and hearing aids. So what happens after that? How was that first uh, diagnosis? How did, how did that affect you as, as a parent? Yeah, I, I remember, um, you know, I know some families will describe that, that time as very uh, gray and foggy. Um, but that time was is still crystal clear in my mind. And I think it's because the emotions kind of seared it into my mind. Um, when when she did the first test, which was in a booth, you know, she was two and a half at the time. And um, and they said, We're, we are looking at hearing loss, but we need to confirm that with a sedated ABR. And um, and then that that was confirmed with a sedated ABR that was um i can still i can still see that room that we were in in st mary's uh waiting for her and it was it was um it was awful it was awful because of the unknowns i had so many questions when did this happen why did this happen is it progressive will she eventually need a cochlear implant and no one at that point had really any answers for us and um, I would describe that time as I was in a panic. I was in a panic for several, several months um, until we eventually did do genetic testing and uh, discovered that she had inherited Connexin 26. And we are in good company. There's a lot of children out there who have inherited Connexin 26 and that has impacted their hearing. And um, it really wasn't until we had that answer and she had been enrolled in early intervention and receiving services, um, pretty significant services um, that I started to see the light, that I started to realize, I think everything's going to be okay. But it was a, it was a while. Yeah. And so, uh, Bridie, do you remember any of that time? I did uh, not uh, remember anything. And if I did, it's just from, from stories. So I don't actually remember and, it. Yeah, young. I know you were very young at that point, Mary Claire. So you remember some of that of getting, uh, just according to the book, you remember her getting hearing aids and that sort of process. I remember parts of it for sure. Um, so Patapello is technically fictional, um, and uh, for several of the scenes where I am in, you know, the doctor's office in the book, I was not um, present for. Uh, I was uh, playing at friends' houses, but I, I do remember a lot of you know, Bridie getting pulled out of school or me having to be picked up by, you know, different friends um, because my parents were at, at doctor's appointments. So um, I did not see the panic mm -hmm. that, you know, my mom describes or that my dad, you know, had. But um, what I do remember was like, why all of a sudden is all of the attention mm -hmm. on Bridie? And, you know, it just was kind of odd where, you know, that had never occurred before. And it was just very sudden. 
Um, so I don't remember a lot of it. I do remember her getting her hearing aids. We threw a big party. Oh, um, we used to, we used to, every time she'd get new molds, get cupcakes <laughs> that matched the colors. <laughs> um, yeah. And so that's more so what I remember was kind of the positive once the, the craziness and the mixed emotions had kind of passed. It was, you know, okay, we're going to be excited about this. Yeah. Um, and we're going to, you know, cheer Bridie on and encourage her. So let's talk about you know, sort of uh, elementary school and, and those years. How did that go? Bridie, do you remember any of that time? Um, I briefly remember staying after school sometimes, working with a speech therapist. And I just remember putting stickers in a book. <laughs> I still have that book. Oh, good. But I don't. And I had to sit in this special chair that was like really unique. And it was like the only chair in the whole school that looked like that. So I always got to sit in that one. Um, But like school, when I would be like in the classroom, it wasn't much different other than I I think I had an FM system. You did have an FM system. Which is a, um, it's like a teacher wears this microphone and I have something connected to my hearing aids. And I had that pretty much Mm -hmm. from the beginning. Mm -hmm. That's all I remember. I love elementary school. There was a a memory that I have of her in elementary school. Mm -hmm. Um, She came home off the bus and her eyes were just really big. And she said, I I think I have to tell you something. (laughs) And I was like, okay. And she said, "Um, can you tell the teacher not to bring her microphone into the bathroom? (laughs) and I was I was just giggling and I said sure I will I will I will recommend that and it's funny because that has been part of the beginning of the year spiel since that point is a reminder you know the FM system travels with you wherever you go including the restroom and Mm -hmm. teachers generally laugh at that and has that ever happened again I think it's happened once or twice. And then my fifth grade teacher went on like a really, really important phone call for her daughter or her son. (laughs) And it ended up her son just had strep and her husband had to pick him up. But I was like, oh, no, I'm not supposed to know this information. Like something really bad has happened to her son. Bridie became very popular in class because she heard all of the private conversations. Oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, like students would get pulled out for getting in trouble and be like, hmm. (laughs) It's fine. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Bridie, tell us what's going on. (laughs) That's great. That's great. Yeah, I've I've heard uh, those stories where the teacher forgets and goes into the bathroom yeah. and you hear all kinds of things or goes into the teacher's lounge, you know, yeah. and, and uh, eating lunch and broadcasting everything that is being said. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, those those are are terrifying experiences for the teachers, I'm sure. Yes. So how was, Bridie, how was uh, the social life in in school, in elementary, and even through high school? How, how, was, uh, how was that social, that social life? Yeah, um, I'm a very talkative kid then and now, especially now. <laughs> um, I think it was, in my opinion, because I don't know what it would have been like to go to elementary school as a hearing person with normal hearing. I feel like it was pretty normal. Nobody really ever asked me about my hearing aids unless I'll be like, oh, I have to go to the clinic. My battery died. And they'd be like, 
oh, you wear hearing aids? Like nobody even noticed because I talk so much. And I think people kind of assume that people with hearing aids don't talk. I don't know. I've gotten that impression over the last 13 years. Um, But I think it was like any other person for me. I never really got bullied on it. Like maybe once or twice, but it wasn't like a big deal. It was just people who wish that they had a superpower that they could turn off the world. So. People, they wish they could be like me. I'm not really. <laughs> I'm sorry for them, honestly. But. Well, I know for, you know, sometimes you have situations in the younger kids that uh, want to get hearing aids themselves because the popular kid has hearing aids or a cochlear implant or something, you know. And so uh, it's like it's not, it doesn't quite work that way, you know. But uh, so those are positive experiences. You know, people want to be like the person that has hearing aids. So that's a that's a good thing. And I think sometimes that we, what we as professionals worry about sometimes is, and in parents as well, is that sometimes there could be some isolation with hearing loss where children can be sort of, you know, they, they may be teased or bullied and, and there's not that sort of social network that forms of good friends and, and the hearing loss ends up isolating the student or the child. And so I'm really thrilled that that didn't happen in your case. So that's, that's wonderful. Yeah. Pride is a special kid. Yeah. (laughs) And And I do think a lot of it had to do with um, just her demeanor since the very beginning, Um, kind of, this is me, go big or go home. You know, if you don't like me, I'm fine with that. Let's move on to, you know, a group of, of friends that do. And, um, you know, her, her circle of friends is small, but fierce. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's so funny because you had been friends with somebody for a long time, and it wasn't until a couple of years later, I think, that they said, "Oh my gosh, what are those?" Yeah, <laughs> we have been like best friends. I mean, we still are, but um, she didn't even notice. And then I was like, "Oh crap, my hearing aid died," and she was like, "You're what?" And I was like, mm-hmm. "Never noticed," because it's not just like it's not an everyday topic. Like I don't even notice it myself sometimes like when I'm talking about my hearing loss I feel like it's very new even though it's not new at all because I just never talked about it because it was very it was just part of yeah life. it's like talking about you are glasses right but right just normal to me and I, I it's a good place to get to I think where it's just not I mean it's a big yeah. deal but it isn't a big deal it's just like who you are it's just a part of you yeah and so mm-hmm. I, I that's that's a great thing I think when you can arrive at that point and of course, yeah. you had a maybe this big bad big sister who could step in and and take on anyone, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, she's very strong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very <laughs> She probably sent word down as like you're watching, and everyone leave her alone. <laughs> yes, people didn't mess with her. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. Uh, so how? So how are things going now? So update me on what you guys are doing now. So Bridie, where where are you right now in, in school and in plans and yeah, um I'm in virtual school right now. Right. Hopefully I will be in person next year. It's going pretty well as well as I think it could. Um I play the violin. I've been playing since I was five. Um I played the upright double bass for about three years. And still talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that hasn't changed. Yeah, no. 
Mary yeah. Claire, where, where are you in all this? Yeah. Um, so like personally, I graduated from high school last year and deferred from college for a year um, just with COVID. I did not mm-hmm. think that that was for me, but um, this past year uh, with my mom having just published a book, um, I helped her a lot with the behind the scenes of that. Um, so we joke when Bridie and I get asked how we've helped. Bridie says that she was just the inspiration and I kind of helped put everything yeah. together. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was in school, so. Yeah, so that's been kind of where I've been busy and yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So let's talk about the book. So how did, how did the idea of like, let's, this is a good idea. Let's put all this in a book and, and put it out there for the world to consume. So how did the idea come about? So a lot of people think that's kind of how it happened, right? Because I do think for many people who write books, children's books, especially that is how it happens. But, um, for me, it, it didn't start that way. Um, I'm an economics major. <laughs> and yes, I did go to Hollins, which is a, a school that specializes in creative writing, but writing a children's book was never on my radar. Um, and it wasn't until um, about a year and a half, two years after uh, Bridie's diagnosis that I really felt the need to write down what I had experienced kind of like a, you know, not a journal entry, but just get it all out there. I had this, this concern that I might not remember some of the details and I've thought it was important to just kind of write about it. So I wrote about what happened as factually as I could, and then rewrote it and rewrote it and um, shared it with some family members. And they were like, Oh my gosh, you could totally write a book about this. And I, you know, not for public consumption, but just to write one. And I was like, oh, and so I did, I started writing um, a book. It, it was in, you know, it intended to be a children's book, but it was originally through my viewpoint as the mom. Mm-hmm. And um, I wasn't really happy with it. And I worked with a professor at the university of Richmond. Um, they have a continuing education uh, course. And he said, you know, I wonder if this were, told through a different lens, what this might look like and feel like. And so I, I did, I, I decided, all right, I'll write it through Mary Claire's perspective. If, if we could go back in time and imagine what her perspective was. Um, so I wrote it that way. And, uh, and then I took the course again and the feedback was, yes, it, it's so much better through the lens of the older sibling, but the older sibling in this is, is too friendly, is too supportive, is too, you know, there needs to be, not all sibling relationships are <laughs> sweet. Um, and so I, I struggled with that. And the, the professor said, what if this wasn't strictly true? What if you allowed yourself the flexibility to reword things and to, you know, who said what and the order in which things happened and And um, I struggled with whether or not to allow myself to do that, but I'm so glad that I did because that allowed me to take so many of the emotions and the behaviors and what, what I did, what we did as a family and just put it where it made sense within the story. And so our book, Patapillow is all based on fact. It is based on the true story of our family's journey with discovering Bridie's hearing loss and then coming to terms with it. But um, it is done so in a way that is um, more helpful for the reader and more, I think more families can connect mm-hmm. to it the way that it's written now. 
Um, Patapillow was always the, the title that I envisioned for the book because we start in the story with language and how we didn't notice the signs. We didn't notice this strange language that she had created on her own. Um, we just assumed that was normal, but someone noticed, someone noticed. And in real life, it was her preschool team, but in the story, it's the older sibling. And so again, we, you know, she had invented a language. Patapilla was her word for caterpillar. Um, she had probably thousands of words that she had reconfigured based on what she heard. And, um, and then I've sent it out to a few large publishing houses. This is several years ago and um, got their rejections letter, rejection letters back. But several of them had really positive comments. Um, things like great story, not our wheelhouse, or have you tried this publisher, which told me, okay, I've got something here. I need to keep looking. Mm-hmm. And then life got in the way, right? I mean, I'm raising two kids. I'm running a business. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a busy time. So I put Patapillow manuscript in the closet and closed the door and said, I'll, I'll revisit it when I have time. And that time never really came um, until COVID. And it was a chance conversation that a friend of mine had with a publisher here in town that um, I was introduced to. Kim with Kiwi Publishing, and we had a conversation and I realized, oh my gosh, this is going to be published during COVID. And it was a it was a race to get it published by May because it's better hearing and speech month. And I felt it was important to launch it um, in May. Well, that's that's a great that's a great story of how it all came together. And it's thrilling that mm-hmm. even though these other publishers didn't, you know, didn't publish but they gave you that feedback and tried to help you in the process that's a that was a good step because you'd often don't get that yeah well I was told during these classes that I took you know I was told this is the process this is exactly how you submit a manuscript and I followed it to the letter and they said you know you will never get personal notes you will net you know you'll get a form letter that's been photocopied three million times along with your manuscript back saying thanks but no thanks But if you get feedback, that is so rare to really listen to it. And so the fact that I got it back from three or four different big houses told me, okay, this, we have something here. This is worth continuing. And so I never really got discouraged when those letters came back. Um, I actually was excited that, oh, I'm doing it the right way. I'm submitting this the right way. And oh my gosh, um, I'm getting feedback. And I was told that wouldn't happen. So I must be on to something. Yeah. Just reminds me of a quick story of Walt Disney, who apparently went to 457 banks asking for money for Disneyland. And <laughs> I didn't even know he didn't get funding until that last one, you know, and so you got to keep pursuing it and, right. and that perseverance paid off. So that's wonderful. So what, happens from here are you going to be able to uh certainly it's published now and so you're you're in the process of marketing that book and and are you going to have sort of a lecture circuit or book signing circuit and and going out and doing those kinds of things we are um you know this has been a family project um and we are taking it on the road as a family 
um, vir- both virtually and <laughs> literally. Uh, we have some events lined up in July in New York on Long Island, where I was um, born and raised. And I'm excited about those events. And we're working on other events with organizations in other states. Um, so our hope is that we are, we'll devote June and July to um, building awareness about Patapillo, that it exists, what it is, how it can be helpful. Um, my hope is that audiologists keep a stash in their drawers so that when they are uh, officially giving a family a diagnosis of hearing loss and they see that look on the family's face, which mm-hmm. I know all too well, that um, this is something that they can reference, that they can give the family in addition to the audiogram that the family doesn't understand yet, um, in addition to the hearing manufacturer's brochure, which frequently accompanies the audiogram, um, but something to acknowledge the emotional aspect of this journey and to open the door for better a better relationship between the provider and the family. Because we've found in our experience that having a close relationship with our audiologist has made a huge difference in everything from um, our keeping appointments to calling them when we've, you know, if we've had any concerns whatsoever um, and celebrating with them. So we really are hoping that this becomes a standard tool in the toolbox and we are, we have a minivan and we have books, so we will hit the road. (laughs) Well, that sounds like a a fun time as a, as a family to go and do these kinds of things. And and it's for the right reasons. I mean, you're, you're sharing something that's not only very personal to you guys, but also very helpful for, are helpful to many other families in the same situation. So I wish you guys the best of luck. And, uh, and maybe in another six months to a year, you guys can come back and give us an update on how everything went. How, will that be okay? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> we would love that. Thanks for the invitation. Well, well Thank you guys for joining me on the podcast and and good luck with your travels and I hope everything goes well. Thanks so much. Thank Thank you. you. That was Valerie James Abbott and her daughters, Mary Claire and Bridget or Bridie. Check out their new book, Patapillo, about their journey with hearing loss. And, And I, like Valerie mentioned, I do hope audiologists will keep copies of this book uh, in their offices and be able to hand these out to families when families experience that diagnosis. That would be a great resource to have. And I just appreciate this family for putting their story into a book like this and and sharing it so openly. So thank you again, Valerie, Mary Claire, and Bridie. And thank you for listening to the podcast. If you don't mind, leave us a five-star review. That always helps us to grow the program, to to reach more people with the podcast, and that's exactly what we want to do. And until next time, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.